Good morning. It's great to have each of you guys with us today. As many of you are aware, about a dozen of our ladies are not here this morning as they are away at a scrapbooking retreat uh, at Table. So if you see any kids running around with unkempt hair or clothes that are just not as pressed as normal, you can blame us dads. It's our fault. And uh, it makes us appreciate our wives much more when we have those experiences. Well, today I want to build a little bit on what I shared with you guys last week, and I'll be doing so from the book of Matthew in chapter 26. While you turn there, let me give you just a little bit of a reminder of what I shared with you guys last Sunday. I started by introducing to you the theme for 2016, which is to go deeper. We took an event that occurred very early in Jesus's ministry. Jesus had been preaching by the shore on the lake. And as the crowd began to gather around and close in on him, he boarded Peter's boat for the sake of creating a little bit of distance. He asked him to set out into shallow water so that he could continue to preach. And that's exactly what he did. Not sure how long he preached that day. We know that there were uh, many occasions where Jesus would preach seemingly all day. Not sure how long Peter sat out there with Jesus. But eventually, Peter, Jesus wraps up the sermon. And he turns to Peter and he says, put out into deeper water. And when they got out there, Jesus would perform a great miracle. Peter and his companions had fished all night and had caught absolutely nothing. Jesus told him to cast his nets. And when he did, he brought in so many fish that he was unable to bring all of the fish in. In the two situations, first of all in the shallow water and then in the deep water, we see a contrast. In reality, Peter in the shallow water was a participant, but it would be safe to say he was a passive participant. Again, I'm not sure how long Jesus would have preached, but I imagine Peter felt like he had front row seats to the best show in town. Many of the people who had come to watch Jesus, they listened so intently because of the fact that he spoke with power and authority far greater than what any of the teachers of the law expressed. Jesus was unique and Peter had a front row seat. But what made him a passive participant was the fact that all he did was hear the message, not necessarily having to do anything right away. In the second aspect of that, they go out a little further, and now he is not only watching and listening, but he is participating in the work that God's going to do. He's about to perform this great miracle, and it would be Peter who would be the one to cast the net out and then have to pull the fish in. As we talked about last week, the only reason Jesus needed that boat was for Peter's benefit. Jesus didn't need Peter, he didn't need his boat, but rather Jesus desired to do something great in Peter's life. And on this occasion, Peter would choose to follow after Jesus. Jesus would say to him, leave your nets behind and come follow me. He said, I will make you fishers of men. And Peter's life would be changed from that moment forward. Well, three years later, we see that Peter and the other disciples are still following Jesus around. They've probably had one of the most eventful weeks of their lives. 
The week began with an emotional Jesus weeping over the city of Jerusalem. As they approached the city, he wept and mourned over the fact that they did not realize what was sitting in front of them. They had the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords coming to town, yet Jesus knew already that there would come a time during this very same week that the city of Jerusalem, the people would reject him, that they would crucify him. They would chant and cry out against him, even though he came to redeem them. It's likely that some of the people who came that day came simply because of the fact that they were curious about Jesus. You see, right after he weeps, he marches into the city in what we call the triumphal entry. And as he walks into the city, the crowds gather very quickly, some of them just to see a celebrity. For three years, Jesus has marched around the countryside, continually bringing the gospel message, the message of hope and love and peace and redemption to the people. And many people had experienced his physical healings, his emotional healings. They saw grace and love and power in this man. And some came just to be able to see this great man coming to town. Others were probably drawn in by some of the miraculous events that had taken place in the weeks just prior. For example, the big one would have been Lazarus and his being raised from the dead. Lazarus was dead for several days to the point that people had already begun to gather for a funeral. People were coming and paying their last respects. And Jesus comes. And Lazarus has been dead long enough that his body has begun to decay. There is a distinctive odor to him. Yet Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And all those who had come to grieve and to mourn over Lazarus then got to see a walking, breathing, living Lazarus in front of them. Do you think the word about a miracle like that would have spread quickly? Absolutely it would have. So some came because of what Jesus had been doing. These disciples probably loved this event. Talking about the triumphal entry here, they had to love this event. It was a high point for them. Think about it. These disciples had left everything that they owned to come and to follow Jesus, to go deeper. And for years, they've not had a place to call home. In addition, everywhere that they've gone, they've had to deal with those who didn't necessarily want them to be around. But now, Jesus is being celebrated. As they enter the most important Jewish, of the, Jewish city of the day, Jesus is celebrated and they get to be a part of it. Again, almost like Peter in the shallow water, sort of passive participants at this point as they walk into Jerusalem. And in the days that would follow, the emotional journey would intensify. They would watch as Jesus would turn over tables in the temple. Then they would begin to prepare for a huge Passover feast. They had to think that this Passover feast would be the opportunity that they have been waiting on. They knew what the Passover meant. It was a celebration of the lamb, the, bl the blood of the lamb, actually rescuing the people of Israel. And now as Jesus, the one who claims to be the Messiah, Jesus, the one who has done all these mighty works, and they knew that he came from God. Now as he instructs them to prepare for this Passover meal, there had to be a sense of this is what we've been waiting for. This was a time for them to also 
be able to relax. You think about it, I just described some pretty emotional things. You have Jesus weeping, you have an emotional triumphant entry as Jesus enters town. He's had time where you've seen his anger expressed when he turned over the tables. There have been times when people have come to him looking for healing and there's all this sense of excitement. Well, I got to tell you, after a while, it begins to wear on you and you get tired. This Passover meal would be a chance for them to simply relax and to enjoy the presence of Jesus and to enjoy themselves in a way they hadn't been able to do for a long time. But shortly into the meal, Jesus would drop a bombshell. He would inform them that one of them was about to betray him, although all of them deny any such suggestion. Can you imagine how the celebration atmosphere was just sucked out of the room immediately? Jesus would go on to tell them about his body that was going to be broken and his blood that would be shed. And he would tell them that within the next few hours, every one of them will have turned their back on him. A short while later, Jesus says, let's go to the garden to pray. And this is where we pick up our reading today. We're in Matthew chapter 26. Let's begin reading in verse 36, and we'll only read through verse 41 right now. The passage says this, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This garden seems to be a familiar place to Jesus and to his disciples. In fact, we know that in just a few moments, Judas will betray Jesus, and he knows where to bring the soldiers to arrest him, because apparently they had been to this garden on a regular basis. Perhaps it was a place where they went each night as they wrapped up their time in Jerusalem. It was a place that was away from the crowds and all the activities that were associated with it where they could just kind of unwind a little bit and just pray. I remember as a new youth pastor taking our first mission trip and doing something similar to this. We had taken a group of teenagers to Philadelphia where we would do all sorts of service projects and deal with all kinds of people throughout the day. And then as we would wrap up the day, we would gather each night for a little bit of a debriefing and time of prayer. I remember that we drove in extremely late the first night and were worn out, so everyone just went straight to bed. But from sunup until sundown the next day, the kids worked incredibly hard. Then as nightfall came, we gathered together. We shared about our experiences, talked about some of the people that we had come in contact with, some of the individuals that we had been able to pray with throughout the day. 
And then we had a time of prayer just for us. One of the other pastors prayed first. And then we went around the room with each individual praying a brief prayer. And then I was the one who was to close out that prayer time. When it came my turn to pray, there was silence. The other youth pastor shared that he thought I was simply using one of those dramatic spiritual pauses. I don't know how long they waited until they realized that I had fallen asleep during that (laughs) prayer time. As such, I can sort of understand a little of what is taking place in this story. With all of the emotions of the week and all of the hard work and all of the activities that were taking place, it seems as though these disciples had simply become worn out. They were tired. They needed to rest. On this particular night, Jesus brings 11 disciples with him. The only one who is missing is obviously Judas, who would show up a little bit later with a different group of people. But it seemed almost customary that as Jesus would break off from the other disciples, he would often take three of them, Peter, James, and John, just a little bit further. And that's what he does here. And after he's gone a little bit further into this garden, he turns to them and he says, you wait here and pray. And then Jesus went on and prayed. As Jesus goes further, he says to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus, too, was experiencing the weight of all of this emotion. He knew the burden which he would carry in the coming hours, and he admits to being overwhelmed with sorrow. But he also invites his followers to stay there and to keep watch with him. Now, when he says to keep watch, he is not referring to guards who would stand outside to protect something or someone on the inside. Jesus had previously related the coming judgment of God as being like a time when we least expect it. He said that God's judgment will come like a thief in the night and noted that if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming then he would have kept watch well that's not the kind of keeping watch that we see Jesus referring to in fact we know that because of his response later as he immediately calls upon them to continue to pray what he is asking them to do is even though you're going to be in this location i'm going to be a little further along i want you to pray with me. Keep watch. Pray alongside me. We're almost looking at sort of a prayer vigil that he's calling them to. He's asking them to pray. He reveals his own personal brokenness and asks them, the three individuals that were probably closest to him, to pray during this time. Well, Jesus goes off and he prays one of the most often quoted prayers in Scripture. He says, Father, And I'm going to change it to a version that I'm more familiar with. If there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Yet nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He'll actually pray this prayer a total of three times on this occasion here in the garden. But in between each one of these prayers, we see sort of a break. Each time there seems to be a little bit more intensity 
that is displayed. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, we are told that this is such an intense situation that he begins to sweat drops of blood. By the way, doing some research, there is actually a condition that is called, and I'll probably mess up the pronunciation, so just pretend like I got it right, hematidrosis. It is a rare condition, but it is associated with severe mental distress, where an individual begins to sweat, and as they sweat, the sweat literally begins to clot up like blood, and blood begins to come out of their pores. Jesus was experiencing such an intense situation on this occasion. Each time that Jesus returns to his disciples in between these prayers, he finds them sleeping. Now, as we've already noted, it's a little bit understandable that they were already worn out. They had been through a lot this week, and they probably needed the rest. But what they didn't realize was that this would be their last time with Jesus in his earthly body prior to his crucifixion. Within just a few short moments, Jesus would be snatched from their midst and their worlds would be changed dramatically. Well, each time that Jesus comes back, actually the first time and then the third time, he awakens them and he calls them to, br- to pray. But verse 40 and 41 reveal that Jesus doesn't want them to just pray for him. Remember, initially, he identifies the fact that he is broken. He is overwhelmed with sorrow. It's almost this idea that I want you to pray for me during this time. But I want you to notice here, as he comes back in verses 40 and 41, he reveals that Jesus doesn't want them just to pray for him. It's not just that Jesus is emotionally distraught. Instead, Jesus wants them to pray for themselves. Consider Peter. Jesus had warned him earlier that evening that before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter denied it. There's no way. Even if everybody else turns away, I will be faithful. Jesus goes on to tell him that Satan has desired to sift you out, to separate you. He wants you to be defeated. Apparently, Jesus sensed that Peter may be about to stumble in his love for Christ. Jesus says in verse 40 and 41, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Notice he didn't ask the other disciples. He says you men, but he's making eye contact here with Peter. Peter, couldn't you keep praying for just a short time? Maybe a part of it was because of the fact that Jesus knew what was about to take place. And he wanted so much for Peter to avoid. He says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And this is where I want to challenge you this morning. First, as a reminder to last week's sermon, going deeper means becoming active participants in God's work. As new believers, it makes sense that we be like Peter who passively participated at first. But at some point, we must become active participants in the work of God. Every one of us, God desires that we be a part of his work, not just cheerleaders for his work. He wants us to be out doing his work and and actually taking a role in making it happen. 
But the second thing that I want you to see is that act, as active participants, we will constantly experience the need for prayer. That prayer will come in many different forms. Often it will be an opportunity to pray for our friends and our family. Jesus' initial call to the disciples was to keep watch with him. It was a call to pray for him in this highly emotional situation. But then Jesus also turns that prayer toward the internal, inside of these disciples. Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. You too are called to pray a similar prayer. Maybe Jesus hasn't warned you that you're going to deny him three times. Maybe he hasn't told you that Satan desires to sift you out. But I'm going to tell you right now, Satan desires to sift you out. Satan desires to destroy. That's his role. To destroy everything that God has made beautiful. And that includes you. So I challenge you and I encourage you just as Jesus challenged Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Every one of us, at some point or another, I assume that everyone here is a child of God. Somewhere along the way, we prayed and we asked God to forgive us of our sins. To think that all of a sudden the journey is over because we prayed that prayer is simply foolishness. The reality is that is the beginning and we must continually be in prayer and seeking the Lord so that we can continue to grow in that faith. And when that temptation comes, because it will come, we do not have to fall in that temptation. That's what Jesus was encouraging Peter with, and that's what he encourages us with as well. The final aspect of this prayer experience is what I have heard presented most often when we look at this passage. It is the nature of Jesus' prayer as he prays, not my will, but your will be done. That is what I call a surrender prayer. He is saying, Lord, I want this. Father, if there's any way possible, do this, but not my will, your will be done. As we come before the Lord, as we pray, we need to be praying a surrendered prayer. One that recognizes that God's will is far greater than our will. That he knows what's best for us and that we are certainly in the best position when he gets his way. As you go deeper in your walk with Christ, it is vital that you pray. Pray for God's strength and his provision but also pray for a renewed love for God. And in all things, regardless of what's going on in your life, as you pray, do so with a surrendered heart. Maybe today you're worn out. Maybe you're like these disciples who are tired and you need someone else to pray alongside you. I want to give you some examples of how you can pray for one another Maybe some items that it would help you to be able to be prayed for as well. First of all, I want to challenge you to constantly be in prayer that God's will would be done. As we look at the call of Jesus calling Peter and his disciples to keep watch, to continue to pray, Jesus knew there was a way out. 
He didn't have to go to the cross, but that was his whole purpose for coming. Jesus could have said, you know what, we're going to try this a different way, but he says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He asked them to pray. It's not just pray that the situation will change, but pray that I will have the strength to stand. I want to challenge you to pray for your church. I was talking with some folks this morning, reading some news this week. I don't know if you heard, but the Episcopal Church in America was put on probation this week by the Anglican Church. They are the Anglican Church in the United States, and they were put on probation this week primarily because of the fact that they have become like the world. If you have family in the Episcopal Church, please do not consider this me slamming the Episcopal Church because I believe, unfortunately, that many churches across America are doing something very, very similar. The Episcopal Church has decided that homosexuality is something that can be embraced within the church and even allowing clergy to participate in the roles of a pastor even if they live a homosexual lifestyle. The Anglican Church worldwide says that should not be because we use the same Bible which clearly defines homosexuality as an abomination. And as a result, they have basically suspended the rights of the Episcopal Church. Let me suggest to you that the Episcopal Church is not alone. It is so easy for the church to almost... I don't know if it's intentional or not, but almost to become more like the world as opposed to calling the world to be more like Christ. And we see it happen all the time. I will tell you, it's one of the reasons I love being a Wesleyan pastor. It is the fact that I see the Wesleyan church as one of the more conservative churches in America. And I love that. I don't want to see our church, our denomination go in a direction that all of a sudden is afraid to call sin, sin. Pray for our church that we will continue to stand strong and to be faithful to what God has called us to be faithful to. Maybe this sounds selfish, but pray for your pastor. Not just me, but the other pastors. I was talking with a pastor this week who he is retired now. He's been retired for a few years and he shared with me, he said, I would never want to be a pastor again. He said, I loved sharing the gospel. I loved preaching. I loved doing a lot of the ministry of the church. He said, but the negativity that sometimes exists within the church caused me to no longer want to do that type of ministry. He said, you're always trying to keep people happy. You're always offending somebody there's always somebody who's complaining because they wish the former pastor was still here or they're looking forward to the next pastor. I consider myself fortunate because actually in this setting, there is a tremendous amount of support for the pastoral staff. But pray for the pastor. My previous setting, the pastor that preceded me had to resign after his third nervous breakdown because ministry was difficult. Understand that the church is under attack in many ways from the outside, but sometimes it's from the inside. So we need to be praying for those who are in leadership with us. 
I want to challenge you to pray for the people who sit beside you. And even right now, take a minute and look at the person beside you. If you don't know their name, ask them their name and commit to pray for them for the next week. Specifically asking that God would allow his hand to be upon them. To encourage them so that they will be stronger than what they would be on their own. Sometimes people are facing ridiculous things and nobody knows about it but them. And they need you to be lifting them up. We are one family. And as we are one family, we must be praying for one another. Jesus didn't ask random people to pray for him. He called the three individuals that would have been the closest to him. And he says, you keep watch with me. I challenge you to pray for one another to lift each other up. And as you do, I'm going to take it a step further. You come back next week and you look to that person that you just prayed for and you ask them, how did God work in your life this past week? Because I've been praying for you all week. We are the body of Christ. And that means that we must be meeting each other's needs. We must be praying for each other. We are a family. Let's act like we're a family. Maybe today you need someone to specifically pray for you. I'm going to do that in just a moment. But I also want to encourage you today. If you need someone to speak with afterwards, I want to be able to do that. Or maybe there's someone else that can pray specifically for you. Look around you. There are, what, seven retired ministers in this church that you could ask right now that would love to be able to sit and talk and pray with you. Aside from that, you have Sunday school teachers. You have individuals who simply want the opportunity to love on you. Don't leave here carrying a burden that you have to carry alone when you know that there are others that will carry it along with you who will keep watch and pray. If you would, bow your heads with me. Perhaps today you need a special touch and you need someone to come alongside you and pray. Someone who will keep watch and continually lift up your name, especially over this next week. If that's you, I would like to do that. Would you raise your hand briefly? Thank you. Put it right back down. Thank you. Father, I come before you right now. And I am so grateful that you have called us to be a part of a family where we don't have to walk alone, but rather we walk with others who will keep watch and pray as we go through our difficult times. Sometimes things happen and we can sort of plan for it. Sometimes they surprise us and, and we seem overwhelmed by it. Although we know that nothing surprises you. There's nothing that you cannot do. Lord, I pray today that you would give us peace in the midst of our circumstances. I pray that where it is possible, Lord, that you would let this cup pass from us. If it is possible for us to avoid some of the difficulty that surrounds us, Lord, I pray that you would remove that cup. But Lord, I also know that sometimes it is in our best interest that we continue on this journey even if we have to drink from this cup. So Lord, I pray that if it is your will for us to go through it, that we would find your strength and peace in the midst of it. 
Lord, help us not to stand alone, but truly with the body of Christ. Lord, you saw the hands that were raised just a moment ago, probably 15 to 20 individuals. Lord, I pray right now that they would sense your presence and your working in the midst of their situation. Lord, may they be comforted. May they experience the power of your love. Not necessarily avoiding everything, but being drawn closer to you in the midst of everything. Lord, I pray today that you would help us as a church to continue to be the church we need to be. Help us to reflect your word and your character. Lord, as we come before you today, it is our desire to go deeper in our relationship with you. May that begin with our prayer life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I am so glad that so many of you guys are here. Actually, I'm glad all of you are here today. And uh, as we celebrate the Lord, I want to send you out just with the blessing of God. Go knowing that you are a part of the body of Christ. Go be used by him and never forget who you belong to, Jesus Christ. Thank you and go in peace.